listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic violence. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me by email at uh, you can <laughs> you can by email at shereencwr at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I would like to remind everyone that our show is on Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 7 uh, Mountain Time, and 6 Pacific Time on the second and fourth Thursdays of each month. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to the program on these services, you may go to the homepage on the website, which is cwrtalknetwork.com, and click on the logo for that service. Because our topics are sometimes triggering, if you do feel a trigger, uh, that is a concern of mine for sure. I'd like you to call the national hotline for domestic violence or for that type of thing, and it's 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE, or 7233. Okay, so this is what's happening tonight. We were going to have Erin Anderson. She's a really good friend of mine, and she's an expert on addiction and domestic violence more closely related to pornography addiction and domestic violence. Her water broke. Yes. So she is in the, she's having a baby right now, which our blessings and our prayers go out to her and hope she has a quick and safe um, delivery for sure. So since this was scheduled for several months in advance, we had no idea that this is going to happen. Actually, the baby is now two weeks early. So this is what happens sometimes when you have live um, radio, right? Okay. So she was going to share with us some methods of helping um, the addict in your home. Unfortunately, because she cannot be here, she cannot help us with that. Um, I will be rescheduling her for a later date, and I want you to be aware of that. So look forward to that, and we will do that for her uh, because she has a lot of good things to say for sure. And uh, when we come back, I'll be talking to you about the topic of domestic violence and and addiction. And we're going to start out with substance abuse addiction, and we're going to work our way into porn addiction. So I'm going to put on a public service announcement at this time, and I'll be right back with you. In 50 feet, turn left. Why are you driving so slowly? After a few drinks, I'm taking it slow. Well, you're not fooling the cop behind you. What? Get ready to pay in point one miles. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, so welcome back uh, to 
making a difference about domestic violence. And let's talk a little bit about domestic violence and addiction. Now, I first went to the site of American Society of Addiction and Medicine, and I found that 40 to 60% of abuse incidences co-occur with substance abuse. So let me say that again, just because I tripped over my words a moment there. 40 to 60% of abuse incidents co-occur with substance abuse. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, The only time and the last time uh, that my abuser battered me, he had been drinking for several hours. So I can see where that can be because I've also seen a lot of people, a a lot of psychological abuse occurs actually during that time as, as well. And so I don't think we're talking about psychological abuse. Uh, They're talking about physical abuse incidents. Abusers are 11 times more likely to batter when alcohol or drugs are being used. Now, one thing that I thought was a little bit interesting, and I do a lot of research on domestic violence, as you know, it's my um, dissertation topic. DVA is a predictor of substance abuse or let's replace that substance abuse is a predictor of DVA but victims at times are also shamed manipulated or coerced into in some manner to abuse drugs or alcohol I did read the study on this. Um, It did shock me a bit. Since it is typically a learned behavior, abuse is a a learned behavior, typically. But it can also just be uh, an incident behavior, such as drugs or alcohol. Someone who is not normally um, physically or psychologically abusive may do that at some point. Okay, research has found that on days of heavy drug and alcohol use, physical violence was 11 times more likely among intimate partner violence batterers and victims. And that's what we've been saying all along, that abuse and uh, substance abuse and domestic violence go hand in hand. It's It's that easy. Now, that being said, it's not all incidents of alcohol and not all people who drink alcohol will have an incident of domestic violence. But it is 11 times more likely to happen. I was talking to a lawyer friend of mine not too long ago, and he said to me, 80% of all substance abusers are also DVA abusers. Uh, for the people that he's dealt with. 80%. That is a pretty high number. That 80% of all substance abusers are also DVA abusers. And one has to wonder if they don't substance abuse to skew their guilt into thinking that, well, it's okay, there is a reason I did that. Or... Maybe they want to 
squelch their guilt. That's a possibility as well. Another number, I'm going to throw out a lot of statistics tonight because I found them actually very, very interesting. Greater than 20% of male perpetrators report using alcohol and or illicit drugs prior to the most recent and severe acts of violence. Now, I'm going to tell you why this surprises me. Because abusers never admit they've ever abused. They're the ones who will tell you they're the victim. They're the first ones to tell you they're a victim. Abusers require power and control. And if they're admitting to their abuse, they will feel that they are losing that power and control. So they will always lie. And lying is what works best for them. They actually lie so much they don't even think they're lying. They think that they're telling the truth. Um, Like my ex is a great liar and the best I'd ever seen. And studies show that this is a normal behavior for abusers, to lie and to admit that they're a victim, not an abuser. If you think about it, though, if they admitted they were an abuser, they, they will lose a lot of power and control over their victim. And they will also lose a lot of power and control over law enforcement when they go to do legal abuse, which legal abuse is very uh, big on the – it's on the, on the rise. I'm telling you, I know so many people – who this has been used against them when they were the victim of abuse. <clears throat> okay, it looks like I have a phone call. Let's see who's joining us. Welcome to domestic uh, to making a difference about domestic violence. Who am I speaking with? This is Leslie Browning. Hi, Leslie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Did you want to chime in on something we were talking about? Yes, I sure did. Um, Thank you. In lieu of my daughter's murder on December the 27th, 2016, um, the toxicology reports did show that her murderer was both high on marijuana and had whiskey, had alcohol, high levels of alcohol in his system when he murdered her. So I agree 100% with what you're saying about the addiction yeah. does I mean it is surprising but but they're least likely to to admit it because yeah. they're going to do it but they're going to hide it. Yeah. Now let me ask you this now that you brought that up. Um now they didn't get him right after the murder. Uh how many days after the murder did they get him? Oh no, they got him. He he um what he did was um, he took my uh, grandchild, my, the grandchildren, over to his parents' house and went back and shot her in the head. And then he left her dead and threw her over his shoulder and took her to the emergency room. And they took him to jail from there. And that's when they did all of the testing and everything on him. Oh, so it was within an hour. Yeah, well, within a few hours, yes. Within a few hours. So, and you said he had high levels at that time within a few hours. So I'm wondering yes. if he, he not only took it before, but even after to um, to quell the guilt. I would I would say yes. As I know Daniel was a heavy marijuana user. Um, I witnessed him using it. And um, he, he, they did find uh, whiskey in the house. 
when when they came in and, and investigated after the murder. So when he took her to the hospital, saying, "Oh, she fell on a gun or whatever," it was, um, they didn't believe the believe him. No, not at all. They they could tell by her condition that it, it was a definite murder. And he, and I was right that they don't take accountability, right? Exactly. They'll never take accountability. Wow. And in in fact, um, even sexual abusers won't take accountability. Yes. Um, I've never actually seen an abuser take accountability. They actually will say uh, that they're the victim. Uh, more times than not, they'll say they are the victim. And the thing is, is they play the victim really, really, really well. Very much so. Uh, they are better actors than anybody I've ever seen. Um, they they know how to make people feel sorry for them. I would say that they are people that are domestic violent people are one of the largest in the. I would say they're in the worst category of a narcissistic range as, as there is out there. Because they know how to play a good game to make people, right. they want people to like you because they're they don't want you to know what's going on behind closed doors. Right, 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 right. So they'll they'll even use church and and they say that they're Christians and things like that to, to make you believe that nothing is going on. Right. Yeah, and I had a friend tell me that uh, that she was. Um, <clears throat> That her husband, everyone at church loved her husband. They thought he, they thought she was the most blessed woman in the whole world. Uh, they really did. They thought she was so lucky to have that guy. And all she could do, she couldn't tell them the truth because who would believe her? Right? Who would believe her? But you're exactly right. She's the one that would look like, oh my gosh, you're so ungrateful. Exactly. That's that's exactly the way that the abuser wants to make people feel. They he wants to make everyone around them feel like they could the the victim could not live without that person in their life. Yeah. And then when they're behind closed doors, they're living an unimaginable hell. Right. Right, an unimaginable hell. And yeah, and you know what? We could never so, imagine the things that these people have gone through. These women and and some men, right? And I I never want to diminish uh, what men go through. The only thing I would like to share the difference between the two is is women are typically more psychological abusers than physical abusers. But I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, there are it's about twenty percent of women are also physical abusers. Yes, that's true. I do, I do know somebody who is a personal friend of my daughter who was murdered. Who he was a victim of domestic violence physically in October of last year, and it took him until um, I want to say the early part of May to reach out to me and let me know that his he was his head was gashed open with a deer antler, and he was in intensive care for. I don't remember the amount of time, but it was for a good amount of time. 
she she attacked him when he was trying to leave her. So it does happen to men. It's just a yeah. smaller amount. And, and the sad thing about it is men aren't going to speak out because they think they people think that they should be the tough one and not have to that that they're not the ones that are going to get hit or get hurt physically and and it just it broke my heart when it when he called me cuz his dad was I, I knew his dad personally he was a very prominent man at the high school and it was a very good family very from a very nice family background so it does happen to anybody out there yeah, it does. And um, that being said, as I noticed, while I was doing research, surprisingly enough, um, it is um, about 16% of those women that, no, it's 14%. 14% of those women that are physically abusive out of the 20 are usually reacting to the abuser. Based I would have on to agree to that. that I saw, and it was six per and and the reason why they came up with this is because ninety four percent of all women, of all murders that are domestic violence related, are women. Six percent are men. Yes, that's a horrible. It's true, but it's a horrible thing to think of. It is very and, horrible. And I'd, I'd like to add also that a lot of people use religious abuse to keep the victim there. Yeah, they're they're tearing their family apart. They're they're not doing what God. They're they're not keeping their vows, their marriage vows. Right. Because when you stood before the the preacher, you vowed to God. And these victims are so good-hearted and they're so sweet. It just works on them. Yeah, and those are things that if if you're out there and you're a victim and you're hearing that, that is so not true. God would right. not intend you to live in a relationship where you're being harmed. Get out. Right, right. And and this friend of mine that went through that, um, she came to that realization. Actually, a friend of hers was abused, and so she went to an abuse group with her friend to help her out and found out, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I'm being abused. Oh, all that yelling and that psychological abuse he's doing, that's actually abusive towards me. You know, she had no idea. And and sometimes psychological abuse will do that. We just have no idea. Psychological abuse, I think, is the biggest bondage that there is because it puts the victim in a prison, making them feel yeah. like they can't get out. I mean, they are constantly threatened by being left alone, by being isolated, by the the abuser leaving them, and and they don't have anywhere to go. Those right. are a lot of things that these these weaker women fe- fear. They they think that there's no way out. That they've been abused for so long that if their mate leaves them, what are they gonna do? Right. Well, and uh, I do want to get back to the the addiction thing, but I do want to add to that real quick yes. because I was recently asked that question or I, I was speaking on that um, specifically because what happens is um, victims of abuse, 
Their abuser wants power and control over them, so they'll try to get them fired from their job. I've seen that every single time. Every single time I've worked with an, a victim, the abuser is trying to get them fired. Um, the victim's already psychologically threatened all the time, and so a victim loses their job because the abuser needs to have more power and control over them. If they lose their job, then they have that financial control now, right? So the victim's You're exactly like, right. yeah, I can't, I don't have anywhere to go. I don't know what to do. Um, I don't have a job or I might lose my job. He will intensify the abuse once she's gone. So her job is in jeopardy just by him calling and making false accusations. And they are so good at that. So that's the financial part where they just, they can't leave. Because if they do, then they will lose their job. And then they, they're financially destitute most of the time. In fact, it was a girl that's going to go for her. Um, she's working at being a lawyer. And I said, this is the problem. Women cannot afford lawyers. You know, I'm working with a lady right now out of New York whose child was kidnapped by the father. And she spent tons of money, similar to you, um, trying to get her child back. Her child wants to be with her, not with her father. But um, these abusers are so good at making sure that we're financially destitute, either through the legal system, either through our jobs or whatever. They just make sure that they have complete control over those kids. Yes, and Shereen, you're touching on a subject that I have a lot of knowledge on, unfortunately. Um, I've been through the family law system in and out for ever since my daughter's murder, and I strongly believe that no attorney, no family, any, any judicial system that touches the family law, I think they should have at least one year of psychological experience knowing how to recognize domestic violence in the children and how they're controlled. My grandchildren were abused at the hands of their father, but the father was abused at the hand of the grandfather when he was a little boy. The same exact thing that the grandfather did to the father, the father did to his children. And he also did to my daughter. And I was told in Henderson County, the family law in Henderson County, Texas, they didn't recognize any signs of domestic violence in my grandchildren. Because they don't and know how to came see, out in they court don't know that see. it happened. Yeah. They don't know what to look for. And you're exactly right. And, yeah, and they're very that uneducated very, that way. They don't care. No, they it's don't. It's all care. about money to them. Right. I mean, we've spent $70,000, and, and still our grandkids are not with us, and, and they're in a home full of abusers. Yeah. Hey, um, Leslie, thank you for calling in, but guess what? <laughs> I just got a text thank from uh, my friend that's having a baby, and she said it was a false alarm, so she's on the line. So that is listen awesome. in and join us, okay, later. I will be listening, and... You go, girl. Keep Get ready to have that baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Erin, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. 
Oh, my gosh. So good to hear from you. I'm like, okay, so Shereen now has to master the somebody else's expertise. So for the last three hours, I have been scouring every study I could find. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. Hey, when you're pregnant, you're pregnant. You know what I mean? You never know when those things are coming. <laughs> well, she, every sign was there that she was coming, and I'm like, "Oh boy, here we go!" But nope, nope, nope. She decided she wanted to to be the diva again today. So she's, uh, <laughs> Excellent. Well, let her be that diva for sure, because I need you more. <laughs> I do. All okay, right. so we actually started. I actually started talking about um, abuse, substance abuse, and I was going to work into uh, pornography abuse. Do you have any expertise at all on the on substance abuse um, at all Somewhat. and domestic violence? Share with us what you ha- what you know and your experience with that or non-experience, your knowledge. Well, honestly, anytime you have some sort of a, an addiction of any kind, when you've got pornography, you've got substance abuse, there's some sort of um, gaslighting, which is like, you know, the, the the addict is going to try to tell the wife, hey, I'm not doing this, this is not a problem, and then she's, he's going to try to make her think she's crazy, in a yeah. sense, for um, for thinking that. Yeah. Even though she's got all this evidence, he's going to try he's going to try to discredit it, because he doesn't want to be caught. Right. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to say this though. That doesn't necessarily mean you've got a bad man. It's just this is the nature of the addiction. This is this is the psychology of the addiction. Okay. What's happened? What I've actually found in in the addiction, I've actually read um, up on different articles and therapists, and you know, I've actually talked to different uh, men, you know, in the practice and stuff that I do, and just asked them questions. And one of the things I've really found interesting is about 90% of the men that I talk to, you know, just because I, I work with the wife, I will tell you that much, but the men that I talk to, um, 90% of them have had some sort of a a flaw in their uh, psyche in which that they believe that to be a man, you can't show emotion. Yeah, and that's honestly I mean, I- what... Yeah. Like a cognitive distortion growing up. Mhm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Like if you're a man, you don't you don't cry, and then you know all this all this. If you're a little boy and you start to cry, a lot of times their their fathers would say, you know, man up, be a man, stop crying, stop crying, stop showing emotion. It's not okay to show emotion. And if you notice that, that's actually one of the biggest threads in um, our addicts is it's not okay to show emotion. But on the other hand. You need to have all the. You need to have healthy relationships. Well, without the emotion, you can't have a healthy relationship. You have to have empathy. You have to be able to stand in somebody's shoes. You have to be able to fully love that person. But if you are standing in self-loathing, how can you possibly love another human being? Right. And so this is kind of what we're dealing with when we have. Um, you know, husbands that are dealing with any kind of an addiction, whether it be substance addiction, pornography addiction, when you've got um, 
an addiction to video gaming, anything like that, it's because the addiction serves some sort of a relationship where they can take and not have anything to that they have to give back. But in a normal human relationship, like with our husbands and our wives and our children and fathers and grandfathers and brothers and sisters, any kind of human relationship, you have to have a give and a take. Yes. But when you're told you cannot be emotional, and that's what that thread is in their brain, when you're being told you can't be emotional, basically what you're having is a relationship where you can only take, but you cannot do the give. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so... And then how does that work as they grow older? Well, sometimes it can turn into more lying, more gaslighting. Um, Oftentimes it leads to their children ending up with the same kind of an addiction. Um, So one of the things, like I said, that I've found that really, really helps um, when you're fighting addictions, and honestly, let me backtrack for a second. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold here and say it's not just our husbands that are dealing with an addiction. Right. It's also the wives. Okay. But see, we Perfect. don't we don't understand. Yeah, we don't understand that what we're dealing with is an addiction because we don't understand that we don't we don't, we don't hear about addictions to self-image. You don't hear addiction about addictions about the way we talk about ourselves. You don't hear about addictions to control. You don't hear about addictions to, you don't hear about addictions like that because they're not as widely talked about. But, you know, when me and my husband were going through the thick of, you know, his pornography addiction, that was one of the things that I realized his addiction was triggering in me was my addiction to control because I continually thought to myself, well, if he can't control his thoughts and his emotions, and I have to control it for him. And that became a very exhausting cycle to be in. Yeah. But the other thing, too, another reason why women are triggered by their husband's pornography addiction is because women are told that they're not good enough and that they look a certain way. Well, and also, isn't that rather deflating? I would would think that that would really hurt a woman's self-esteem. It did. It did. And so, you know, when that, and, and it normally will. But that's one of the reasons why I'm going to say, whether you're trying to heal from a pornography addiction, a substance abuse addiction, any kind of an addiction, or you're trying to heal from the betrayal trauma that somebody else's addiction has caused you, the number one thing I'm going to tell people to do is stop trying to see yourself the way you see yourself and start seeing yourself the way God sees you. Yes, perfect. Because the thing is, is I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I believe 100% in God. There might be people on here listening tonight that say, hey, you know, I believe in a higher power. What I want you to believe in tonight is there's somebody, something out there that loves you absolutely perfectly. Yeah. And sees you perfectly. And that's why I believe in God. Yeah. It's because I need that in my life. I need somebody that I believe created me that knows why he created me and knows what he created in me. Right. And the thing is, is he's not going to hide that from me, and he, he didn't. 
he told me when I when I finally got sick of that betrayal trauma, he finally he told me who I was. And you know what? That trumped any pain that I'd ever experienced at the hands of anyone that ever abused me. And it gave me an, it gave me something solid. It gave me a perfection that I could honestly rely on. Let me ask you uh, this question. Tell me if it's too personal. If I, if I sh- if you cannot answer, that's fine. Um, is uh, your husband is the is was uh, a porn um, addict? And was mm-hmm. there addiction in his family? Uh, was this a genetic um, thing or a learned behavior? It was learned. It was a learned behavior. No, his dad doesn't struggle with an addiction. But what, what from what my husband has told me, the thing that kind of was um, offsetting to him was the relationship he had with his dad. Because his dad kind of did that same thing, you know. Hey, if you're a man, you don't show emotion. And his dad, I love him to pieces. He's one of the most wonderful men I know. Um but if you know Lynn, he doesn't show emotion. <laughs> He's just not an emotional man, you know. Well, and that's kind of um, that time period, wasn't it, that you don't yeah, show Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the more healthy you are, really, the more emotion you really do show. Right. And my husband, he was the oldest boy, the oldest child, and so, you know, his dad raised him and brought him up that way that you don't show emotion, you don't show emotion, you don't show emotion. If you're going to be a man, you need to buck up, you need to work hard. I mean, and the other thing, too, is my husband still to this day struggles to know how to play. You know what I mean? He didn't have an outlet. It was just work, 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 no outlet. So there's a lot of psychological and emotional stuff that my husband was dealing with. But he didn't know any of that. He, he like the the problem is is when you're dealing with a subconscious problem is you're dealing with something that you have known your whole life but has resulted in a bad behavior and you're not exactly sure where to root that back to. Does that make sense? Right. Right. So, but yeah, that's it, that's that's how I would answer that question. I hope that answers that for you. No, that was perfect. And I found um, sometimes, like, I have a friend, I have several friends who are um, substance abuse addicts, um, but this one friend who's very, who has for, I've known him for 35 years, been very open about his substance abuse. And his parents were not abusers. His grandmother was an addict and uh, mm-hmm. to uh, alcohol. And um, that that's the genetic link there could your husband have a genetic link from previous grandparents or great-grandparents anything like that or is there just none to be seen ever that's it's not always the case like for my husband no he doesn't okay he doesn't at all like i said this is this is a first generation thing for him but for other men definitely yeah. There can definitely be a thing, but I wouldn't say that it's always a gene- a generational thing. If we're yeah, it's not into always. The gen- it's not always. It's not mm-hmm. always. If we're looking into generational stuff, though, you know, do I believe in generational healing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the more we heal, um, 
ourselves and our emotions and the things that aren't necessarily always right inside of us. We actually do a lot of generational healing, not just for our children, mm-hmm. um, but also for for our parents and our grandparents and our ancestors. We do. We really, really do. Yeah. We actually have a scientific link now saying that, you know, our our ancestors' emotions are actually stored in our DNA. So there's that, right? I love but to it. Kind of give you an, to kind of give you an example of what we're talking about here, you know, with generational feelings, um, one of the things that I have four boys, I, this, this little baby that's, you know, trying to make a debut as a girl, <laughs> and we love it. She's 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 definitely a diva. Like already, she's a diva. But you know, one of the things that I want to do is protect my kids from the addiction. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't happen necessarily by always teaching them about sex. Do I think you should? Yes. But I also believe it's one hundred percent teaching them about um, who they are. Yes who they really, really are, and helping them see it. So one of the things, you know, I do with my kids is this whole practice of truth versus lies. Um, when we believe that we can't show emotion or that we're dumb or that we're not good enough, we're not good enough, we're not good enough, in some form, that's what's there, right? When we believe yeah. that, our actions show it. So one of the things I do with my kids is we do this... Um, truth hour. I don't call it power hour, I call it truth hour. I ask them, I say, hey guys, what's true about you? You know, and I've taught them when I say, hey, what's true, they try to look at themselves the way they feel like Heavenly Father would see them, or maybe even the way I see them at first, because I think these kids are like my perfect anyway. I love my boys. Yeah. But... They say things like, I am amazing, I am a powerhouse, I am a superhero, here are my superpowers, like I'm creative, I I have incredible peeling hands, like my my little second, uh, my second oldest little boy, he's, he's nine years old and he can massage with the best of them, you know, and I have them look for things like that and then I ask them, what do you think your purpose is on this planet? Why did God put you here? I teach them about the truth about themselves, and I ask them, what do you think is true about this person? And I just point out a random person on the street. So not not only am I teaching them truth about who they are, truth about who God is, but I'm also teaching them how to look at other people and see truth as well. Because when we have a pornography addiction, you know, what they're seeing is something that's a blatant, flat-out lie in every sense of the like, in every sense, that is not a woman. That is not what a woman is. It is not what a woman even acts like or looks like. Right. So if we're teaching our kids and we're, if we're looking for truth ourselves and if we're teaching our families to look for truth, boy, is that ever a healing process. That, that, that's just something that's so solid. Yeah. And that's so important to teach children that as well. Just exactly the way you described it. Who are you? Who do you represent? Who are who is that person? Not what they're doing. That's not who they are. Exactly. 
Exactly. Now, you know, I've actually. Go ahead. I've actually, I've actually had because everybody has endured abuse, and you know, yeah. whether it be at the hands of their peers, parents, spouses, abuse happens. Yes. My oldest came home one day um, last year from school, and he had this kid that had been a, a fairly consistent bully to not just him, but lots and lots of kids. Well, he had tried to get into my son's head and tell him what a horrible person he was and how skinny and ugly he was and blah, 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 you know, trying to be just a bully. Yeah. And he came he came home smiling because he told me, he said, Mom, I told him what was true. And, you know, I loved it. Because it, seriously, I mean, it, it fortifies our kids so much because they know and they feel truth. Yes. And so, what did he say to him that what was true? If I remember right, he said... You know what? You might think that, but I know different. And he said, I'm a child of God. God loves me. I am amazing. I am creative. I, and he just went on and on and on and on about awesome. all of his personal good characteristics. Right. And that bully had nothing, nothing to say. Because the thing is, is a bully doesn't have that truth. No, they don't. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot combat truth if you are full of lies. It just doesn't happen. Right. No, I love his you know, response. That's perfect. You know, one of the other things I teach my clients, and, you know, like I said, I, I'm a big, I'm Christian. I love God. I love Jesus Christ. I'm big into the Bible. I'm big into the Book of Mormon. But one of the things that I teach my clients is this Bible story about Christ um, and how he he overcame the lies himself. I mean, when when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you know, the adversary came to him and tried to tempt him, but what did he tempt him with? It was with not seeing, who, trying to get him to not see who he really was, like trying to get him to doubt it. Well, if you really are the Son of God, throw yourself off this building. Let the angels come and catch you. If you really are the Son of God, turn the truck into bread. You're hungry, you know? Yeah. But Christ never faltered because he always combated it with truth. And he said, for it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Well, if we really see ourselves for who we truly are, then we will understand that we are lords and gods over the adversary himself. We can use that exact same phrase. Yeah. Get behind me. You are not my master. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you um, some more questions. Tell me if this is not okay to ask. Um, Originally, how long have you been married? I'm sorry, I forgot. 14 years. And how long has he been into addiction, and how did you find out? So he was actually very upfront and honest with me. Um, Let me know that he had the addiction before we were even married. Oh, good. So uh, that's honesty, girlfriend. How, that's uh, that's yes, not it's normal. <laughs> it's not normal. It's not. I. It's not. But you know, like I said, I mean, he still had a lot of the same 
traits and everything like that that an addict had. Yeah. Um, you know, and the gaslighting, and, you know, he tried to lie to me sometimes and things like that. But so not everybody has that experience. That's true. A lot of women actually do, too, where the, where the man that they're thinking about marrying is very upfront and telling him, hey, this is what you're getting yourself into. You know? But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's, gosh, I, I, I don't know how many years it's been now since he's been struggling with it. I mean, it's, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. And so, but this is awesome that he came in with truth in the relationship. Yep. Yeah, I got a good one. Real yeah, good that's one. a good one. Yeah, that's a real good one. For sure, because abusers, uh, domestic uh, domestic abusers, uh, lying is there is the only thing they do well, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they do it very well. And so that just shocked me that um, he, um, though he has a substance or a a porn addiction, uh, that he would behave in that manner. I think that's awesome. I think it's absolutely awesome. And, you know, you got to understand, my husband never meant to be abusive. Does that make sense? Yeah. But have I worked with women whose husbands do mean to be abusive? Oh, you bet. Yeah, but gaslighting is abusive, as you it know. Is. It is. It and is. so you have endured some abuse. Um do you find out right away or do you believe his gaslighting or how does that work um, with you and your experience? Now, let me tell you, it's a different experience than what it's from like maybe four, even four years ago to what it is now. Because one, he doesn't try to gaslight me now. He doesn't try to hide it from me. He doesn't try to tell me that something isn't up. Like anytime that he's struggling, he actually can come to me and tell me. And instead of me getting angry and mad and offended and, and dealing with that trauma over and over and over again, um, I just listen to him and I ask him, okay, so what were the triggers? I'm, I'm, more, I'm more of a support to him now. And I, again, yeah. go back into that truth thing. Yeah. Before, when he gaslighted me, yes. I was like, okay, what is up? I knew, I know something's up. I can feel it, and I obsessed over it. Yeah, so that's more codependent then, right? And you step out of the codependent role into a support role. Yeah, but it's, I, I will tell you, it's hard. It is really, really hard, and another reason why it's hard, and it's not for me to get down on counselors and therapists, but that's not my purpose here but yeah. anytime I would try to go to a counselor or a therapist they would tell me oh well I just need to give in more sex oh really okay. <laughs> yeah and so it's like they're trying to tell you how to call so something but it ended up yeah it's all your fault right no 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 uh-uh no 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 yeah. It is not the woman's fault. It never has been the woman's fault. If anything, a woman, a real true woman who knows who she is and has that has a power, that power of, hey, I am okay. I know who I am. I've got this. And they really, really believe it, and they really, really feel that, and they feel that connection 
to their inner truth. Betrayal trauma is not a problem for them. Now, let me say this. I do not promise my clients that they're going to stay married. Is that the goal? Yeah, but here's the thing. If you've got somebody that's that abusive, if they're going to hit you, if your life is in danger, if they refuse, like refuse to believe that there's anything wrong with them and they continually try to tell you what kill you with you, uh, no. Yeah. No. That's not okay. And honestly, it's not okay for somebody to even gaslight you. It's not okay for somebody to have the addiction. I mean, marriage is supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to have fidelity in marriage. Right. And you were re-victimized by that counselor as well. That was a re-victimization. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you know, not every like, not every counselor is going to tell you that, but the other thing I noticed, too, with counselors is they don't bring the the element of perfection into it. Now, what I what do I mean by perfection? I'm not talking about perfect body, perfect hair, perfect stuff like that. That's, that's not all an illusion. I'm yeah. talking about perfect love. We have to find that perfect love because that's something that, honestly, our society is lacking. Yes. Nobody truly loves themselves, and if you can't truly love them, love yourself, you can't truly love another. This is another reason why I believe in God, is because when we find that perfect love in Him, it makes it so much easier to find that perfect love in us. Yes. That's what yes. I mean by perfection. That's yes. not something I ever found in counseling or therapy. Yes, I have to say I totally agree with you. I have found, um, I, I know how much uh, that God loves me. I mean, I, I, I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And I love how you put that. I have a perfect love for myself because I know his perfect love for me. Mm-hmm. Very good. And, you know, I know, Shereen, one of the things you do is you work with, you know, domestic violence victims. And I'll tell you... Yes. One of the things, because my best friend, you know, she she's getting herself out of a domestic violence situation, and oh my gosh, do I ever applaud that girl. I mean, she's gone through hell and back in so many ways. Yeah. And her hubby, her ex-husband, you know, unfortunately, I will tell you that I think I really truly believe at the core of who he is. He's actually a good man, but he's screwed up as all get out. Yeah, You know, no man should ever, ever treat a woman that way. But unless if you love yourself and learn to love yourself that way and to stand in your power and to find your purpose, you end up kind of attracting some of the similar things, some of the similar traits to you again. And that well, was one of the reasons, yeah. that was one of the reasons why I knew I needed to heal because if my marriage did fail, and luckily it didn't, we're better than we've ever been. Good. But if it did fail, I knew I needed to find somebody better. And I never, ever want to see, and I I, I see it unfortunately too much, and maybe I'm saying things wrong here, and I'm totally open to that. But 
I unfortunately see too many domestic violence victims leaving one man and going with another that would treat them the same way. Yes. And that being said, I, on their behalf, I do have to say this, though. On their behalf, abusers are very, very good at hiding who yeah. they really are until mm-hmm. you're, you're married. Um, but but now I'm at a point, because, of course, I do so much research on it, that uh, I, I watch. I watch everything they say, everything they do, how mm-hmm. they do it, how they say it. And um, that's how I can tell if they're healthy or unhealthy. If they're unhealthy, then I know they have tendencies, and I prefer not to be with them. Um, uh, mm-hmm. One boyfriend, it literally took me three months before I could see all of his unhealthy, before I could see healthy his unhealthy traits. So that's a long yeah, time, totally. three months, you know. It is. But it is. Um, I know what to look for but, now. And unfortunately, a lot yeah. of victims don't. No, they don't. And, you know, but that's the thing is, is when you feel like you love yourself in that perfect way and that you truly, truly believe that you deserve the best, the absolute right. best. Right. Because you do. You do. Yeah, you do. When you love yourself in that way, it actually makes it easier to see the lies. It makes it easier right. to see when somebody's gaslighting you. Right, and that that one that one I know to be true because, like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of a synopsis of this of this situation with my best friend. You know, her ex husband after she left him <laughs> thought that I was immediately going to fall in love with him, even though I was married to my husband, had four children to my husband at that point, and he tried. He tried to break mine and my husband's marriage up so he could move in on me. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If I if I had a really really low self worth, uh, that might have been appealing to me. It might have been because it's attention. Right. But you know what? Because I didn't, and I knew he was gaslighting me. I knew what he was. I I could see it because I had that confidence and that love for me. Yeah. I didn't put up with it. Good. And you know, and again, that's a whole that that is a bit of a different ball game in the fact that, you know, I was already married and everything. But I'm just saying that. It doesn't matter what the situation is, whether it's a pornography addiction or somebody's actually being physically abusive. Yeah. Women deserve to love themselves the way God loves them. Right. Right. And you know what? Women. Go ahead. Yeah. Alice Paul was a radical suffragist during World War I. She and the National Women's Party were the first group to ever protest in front of the White House. In 1917, in many states, women still could not vote. And Alice Paul was single-minded in her efforts to achieve suffrage for women in America. She was known for being incredibly fierce, and she was not well-liked in the suffrage movement because she was so radical. Alice Paul was from Philadelphia. She was the daughter of devout Quakers. 
early in her life she had been radicalized in London, participating in the suffragist movement. When war broke out, there was a lot of pressure for all Americans to get in line and follow behind Wilson. But Alice Paul actually took the exact opposite approach. The National Women's Party were out in front of the White House even once the war began. She and the National Women's Party questioned this and said, how can you be proclaiming this vision for democracy abroad while at the same time suppressing it amongst a huge population at home? And this was a really strong position and a really radical position at that moment in time. Wilson realizes that the public relations disaster of these women making this point ultimately is not worth it to him. She refused to back down. And finally, it works. Not too long after that, Wilson came out in support of suffrage. Hello? Hello? 